In this episode, I want to talk about why a growing conspiracy theory may be dangerous for Christians. You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. Conspiracy theories. We rarely believe them. Most rational adults will hear a conspiracy theory, whether it's stuff about aliens in Area 51, Elvis still being alive, the JFK assassinations being staged by the government and he is living in a bunker somewhere, the whole jet fuel doesn't burn that hot from 9-11, or President Trump being a member of a race of lizard people who live deep underground and are trying to overthrow the world. Whenever we hear these conspiracy theories, whenever we hear these irrational ideas with no real thought and these things that are kind of just held together by really loose logic and sometimes even contradictory evidence, we all just kind of look at it and scoff and say, oh, you know, how could anyone fall for that stuff? And a lot of times, our biggest safeguard that we have against conspiracy theories is whenever they raise a red flag, it being just too unbelievable to fall for. And a lot of times that's good, right? If our entire life experience tells us that there's no evidence of aliens or lizard people or whatever, if if we are realizing that these theories that are being cooked up are just way too complicated, way too complex, and just don't make sense outside of kind of a very narrow view of events, we typically just dismiss them. And again, that's good. But here's where we run into an issue, is that if we say that, oh, well, conspiracy theories are just those things that are too unbelievable to fall for, then what we actually can end up doing is saying that, well, if something is believable, then it therefore can't be a conspiracy. And so if we have some form of evidence or proof that is satisfactory enough for us to believe it, then we will. We will maybe even cast aside all other forms of logic and reason that we would apply to the situation and say, well, what I'm hearing sounds right. It sounds good. I guess it's right. You know, and it especially when these beliefs go along with what we already may want to believe or be primed towards believing ourselves. And so this particular topic and a follow-up episode I will probably do are really long overdue. We have the elections coming up and fear is high and people are throwing out theories left and right. And we live in a very confusing world right now as it is with riots and sickness and a lot of politicizing on both sides about how to handle everything. We just recently had President Trump contract COVID, which as I'm recording this, last I heard, he is in the White House and is doing much better, which we are, of course, very thankful for. And in the midst of all this chaos and this confusion and really almost this constant battling between worldviews, we have this one theory that is really starting to grow in popularity with Christians. And that's what this episode is about. This theory, this conspiracy theory, is called QAnon. And like I said, I'll have a follow-up episode for this where I really get into just why do Christians or why does anyone buy into conspiracy theories? 
But, you know, based on the notes that I've written for this episode, it is going to be plenty long. So right now I just want to hammer down and talk about this new theory that's growing, this this idea of QAnon. Now, I want to be as brief with this as I can. And kind of the basic layout of what I'm going to discuss is I want to start by just talking about what is QAnon. And the reason that I think we need to understand that is because this idea is growing within Christian circles. It's spreading around churches and friends and family. And with social media being what it is, bad ideas can start to just catch fire and spread very rapidly with no real logic as to why it's happening. And so it may be that you're listening to this and you know someone who is involved in QAnon. It could be that you're listening to this not realizing that you've actually bought into some of this propaganda and these beliefs that have been spreading because you haven't seen the label on it saying, hey, this is a conspiracy theory. But because it works so well with the worldview that we may want to hold, it may be that there's some people out there who are going to listen to this and realize, wow, I've actually been following this to a small degree, maybe not as in depth as some people, but there's a very good chance, as I'll discuss, that you've shared something, you've agreed with something, you've talked about something that can stem and trace its sources back to this conspiracy theory. Uh, From there, I, of course, want to talk about why. Why is this so easy for Christians to fall for? And mixed with that, I really want to hammer in on why it is so critical for us as followers of Jesus Christ to know God's word. And we're going to see why knowing God's word is our greatest protection from really any bad belief, but especially this whole QAnon thing that's been spreading. So what is it? What is the, the basic core tenet of this QAnon theory? In a nutshell, it believes that there is this worldwide group called a cabal, and they all worship Satan. And what they do is they have a child sex trafficking ring where they are buying and selling children. They themselves are often pedophiles. And the ranks of this group, this this evil Satan-worshipping cabal, are filled with a lot of Hollywood celebrities. I haven't really seen who, but it just sounds like if you're a Hollywood celebrity, there's a good chance you're involved in this secret cabal. And a lot of powerful Democratic politicians are also said to be part of this big group of people. And one of their favorite people to pick on are the Clintons, especially Hillary Clinton. They would say that you know she is you know, maybe one of the head honchos in this cabal. And in a nutshell, that's the big thing that it started out with, is that there's this this big ring of pedophiles that all worship Satan and... From there, as this idea grew, it started kind of branching off to making this group have other aspects to them. So more popularly, people would say that this cabal is controlling the media. He, they would say that they are responsible for ISIS and the attacks that they've done, and they are even you know funding this terrorist group. They are responsible for releasing COVID because they would say that COVID was manufactured in a lab. It was released on purpose into the world. Uh, They would even go further to say that it was an attempt really to for governments to lock down and control their citizens by ruling them with fear. Uh, And and it would even go off into some kind of sillier things 
um, touching into popular theories like we talked about, you know, JFK and his assassination is, I, as I understand it, a very popular one to say that he is still alive and he is even actively involved in stopping these people. And a lot of what they say just goes down to this idea of a deep state. They would say that the government, whether the American government, which is their big focus, or even the world governments, the entire global system has been infested by this group that can trace itself back fairly far into history. And if you've ever heard of the Illuminati, it's that kind of same idea of this one global group that is controlling everything and is seeking to usurp authority over the good citizens of America or the citizens of the world. And then where this gets interesting is that the reason that we're kind of learning about them now is that President Trump is actually trying to uproot them and scatter them and destroy their organization. And so as he's come on the scene and as he has started working against them, they've kind of become more active and they've even been getting caught. And because of that, because President Trump stands against them, they want to tear him down. They want to release all this bad media and have the the media and the press spin things negatively about him. They want to do everything they can to turn the world against President Trump because he is the only one standing in their way. He is the only person in the world who can stop their nefarious schemes. And now that might sound wild, and I'm assuming there's a lot of people listening to this who have just never heard this at all. But the thing about QAnon is that it's not just this big idea where they'll just come out and just dump all this on the table and say, here's what you should believe. I would wager that a lot of people listening to this have actually seen their work. And so just some signs that I've commonly seen that traces itself back to QAnon are if you've ever, whether on social media, whether in conversations and things like that, if you've ever heard someone talk about the deep state, that traces itself back to QAnon. You may have noticed that there's been an increased coverage of child trafficking rescues with the hashtag Save Our Children. And a lot of people would say, oh, well, Save Our Children is a group, but actually it was taken on by QAnon who tried to kind of label themselves alongside this advocacy group that seeks to rescue children from these horrible circumstances. And so it kind of gives this belief system some legitimacy by shedding light on sex trafficking and things like that and showing how deep-rooted it is and horrible it is which, again, is a good thing, but it's a big part of their whole belief system is just how infested America is with all these you know, Hollywood types and powerful politicians who are involved in the sex traffic trade. And so they are celebrating that President Trump is winning whenever these stories come out. Uh, you may have seen what I would say are blasphemous images of Jesus Christ and President Trump I've seen one where you've got Jesus Christ wrapped in an American flag, and he and President Trump and I think John Wayne are kind of charging forward and leading this battle against darkness or evil or or whatever the picture is trying to get across. But, you know, you see a lot of things and you just it has Trump and Christ is always having his back. Christ is always in favor of everything that President Trump is doing. I've also seen ones where you will have images of President Trump being linked with biblical prophecy, and it will use verses or it will use ideas of biblical prophecy and say that, you know, President Trump is a prophet or he is a kind of Messiah figure. And whatever your thoughts on that, that is core and central to the QAnon beliefs. 
if you've seen people talk about Jewish bankers running the world. That's a big part of their beliefs. Uh, if you've seen the term plandemic, again, traces itself back to QAnon. You may have never heard of QAnon, but I'm almost positive everyone listening has heard of this idea that this global pandemic was planned. Uh, if you've just in general heard people talk about things like cover-ups or conspiracies or secret truths, if you've heard people comparing others to sheep and saying, oh, you know, you're, you follow the media, you're just you're a sheeple and things like that, a lot of that is talk of conspiracy theorists. Um, and more subtly, you may have noticed that maybe now more than ever, there is just an increased tribalism between whether you're a Democrat or whether you're a Republican. There's this war where if you are a Democrat, you are hardcore into being a Democrat. If you're a Republican, you are 100% sold out to the Republican Party and everything it stands for. And again, that all boils back to this idea of this good versus evil of President Trump and his people standing as this shining light against a dark world. And so those are just, like I said, just some ways that I have personally seen this idea of QAnon infesting the Facebook feeds and Twitter and just the general conversations that people are having of just people that I myself have seen. And I'm sure there's much more out there because I'm just I'm not on social media enough to see it very often. But if I am seeing it with my limited exposure, I'm sure it is just out there even more based on really what other people are even talking to me about. Um, as I've released this article previous to this, I've had some people reach out and just say, you know, you know, thank you. You know, this helped clear up. You know, I know people that are falling deeper and deeper into this QAnon conspiracy. And so it's out there. It's it's important. And it's sometimes it's really subtle and it's it's drawing in Christians because they aren't seeing these red flags. They're they're reading and they're sharing things that seem believable. They seem plausible. So kind of understanding the big idea of what QAnon is all about. Where did it start? Uh, back in 2017, President Trump was making a speech, and in part of it, he talked about there was this calm before the storm, and it was this kind of cryptic, really mysterious message, and people were sitting there wondering, oh, what does it mean? What is he talking about? What is this calm before the storm? How mysterious, how empowering, how exciting? And shortly after that, there was this message board called 4chan, and if you don't know what that is, you might want to fast forward like 30 seconds because I don't want to ruin your pure and innocent worldview. But what what 4chan is, is it's basically being kind as I can. It is a place where people that want to be gross and disgusting and perverted and hateful on the internet can go and feel safe because they can surround themselves with other people. It's typically not a pleasant place. The conversations that are had are rarely wholesome or godly or sometimes even legal. There have been instances of child pornography and things like that being shared. It's just, it's a very sin heavy place. It's a place where you go if you want to be around other people that kind of personify everything wrong with the internet. And so on this website, on this message board, someone named Q posts something. And he claims to be a high-ranking government official. He can't say what his title is, who he is, no specifics, obviously, because then he'd be found out because he's this kind of secret agent for us, for the people. And in this very first message he gave, he said that some arrests were going to start, that the process had already begun towards making these big arrests 
And I think it was supposed to be Hillary Clinton that was supposed to get arrested and they were going to lock down state lines and, and lock down the, the leaving the country so she couldn't escape and things like that. It was going to be this big to do. And so people really latched onto this because, you know, this, you know, this person that really almost every Republican, I think, hated at that point and, and just had already demonized in their mind, you know, she was going to get hers. And it was coming out that, you know, she was involved in this big conspiracy and things like that. And so she was going to get hers finally. And so as time went on, you know, obviously Hillary Clinton was not arrested as an accessory to a child trafficking ring. But as time goes on, this Q person still doesn't reveal who he is, but he, he starts giving even more dates and more names of people who are going to get arrested or who are involved in this deep state. And, of course, whenever those dates don't come true or whenever these people are still unarrested even years later, you know, there's always excuses, there's always reasons. We had to push it off because this new information came to light or the deep state was able to counter us and stop us from doing what we were setting out to do and things like that. And so on and on, more of these conspiracies and more of these leaked information pieces start coming out and more and more people are just buying into it. And then really what these messages actually look like is sometimes they will have specific information, but a lot of times they are said in the form of riddles or they're honestly nonsensical messages. And when I say nonsensical, I don't mean weird. I mean literally just mashing on a keyboard. So what someone has actually done is they looked at one of the messages filled with this kind of garbled text, and they removed actual words, and then they put it on a map on a keyboard. And they showed that what this person was clearly doing based on where the keys were pressed within the message is that they just went left hand, right hand, left hand, right hand all over the keyboard, staying fairly close to the center. So, so they could actually, they used science to show how this person made this message. And so this thing that seemed really mysterious and seemed like, you know, this top secret spy code from a movie was actually just someone mashing on their keyboard. But whether it's the riddles or whether it's the random numbers and letters, these followers of Q will try to interpret what he's doing. And it's almost become like a game where he releases something and then people latch onto it and start sharing their theories and try to figure out what it is. If you've ever been part of a fan community of like a movie or a book where people are trying to share theories on what's happening or why the author did this or why these characters are doing this or what did this mean... That's kind of what's going on is people are sh sharing back and forth these ideas of what these mysterious messages could mean. And from the outside looking in, it's almost funny because you can see that whoever this Q personality is, they are basically just doing the same secrets and the same tricks that we see with fortune tellers and horoscopes and false prophets, which is that those who want to believe what's being said are going to believe it. And they're going to find dots to connect to prove the words that they've heard. And these messages, these things that are said, they are always vague. They are never specific. Because as we've seen, when when these QAnon conspiracies are specific, people say, okay, here's a concrete thing that's going to happen. And then when it doesn't happen, they have to scramble. But if you leave it vague, if you leave it mysterious, it can mean anything. It can happen at any time. 
And there's always more than one way for it to be correct. And so, for example, I don't know if this is actually a thing that was said or if it's an example that people have seen, but I've seen people when they're talking about the QAnon conspiracies, one of the messages was to watch the water. That, that was the message. That was the sign of something happening is to watch the water. Now, what does that mean? That can mean any number of things. It can be to watch the shores of America. It could be metaphorical and say that we as human beings are made of water. And so watch the humans. It can be a water bottle company. I mean, there's any reason that this supposed leaked information and this hint can be fulfilled. And that's the thing is that if you are prone and tempted and desiring to believe these theories, you can't be proven wrong because everything happens. It may not happen how people think it should, but watch the water. Oh, well, it means this. You know, oh, the arrests. Oh, well, they haven't happened because the deep state did this and that. There's no proof. There's no evidence. It's just theory upon theory. You know, it's the same as telling a lie. When you tell one lie, if you want to keep it going, you have to tell more and more. With these conspiracy theories, with these baseless, factless beliefs, in order to keep the original alive, you have to start believing more and more illogical and irrational things. You have to start excusing away more and more things. You have to start seeing truth in the most obscure ways, simply because everything would come crashing down if you didn't do that, because it can't stand on its own. You have to just really buy into the entire conspiracy that everything out there is mysterious and everything out there is part of the enemy. And now, really, that sounds like every other theory, right? You hear conspiracy theorists of old talk about, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald or Area 51 or what have you. And it's always the same language. It's always the same, very loose, very disconnected, very implausible series of logical leaps required to believe it. And we don't believe that. So what is it about QAnon that is taking off so much? Because they don't have any more proof than anyone else does. At best, they have the internet that just allows the ideas to spread more than ever before. But here's what I see as to why this is taking off. In a broad sense, there's just a wide appeal to people in general. On one hand, it comes with very good timing. We have the chaos of the original 2016 election and everything that that brought. We have elections coming up again. And with everything else happening right now, America is just in chaos. Again, sickness, unemployment, death, riots, protests, injustice, different definitions of justice. There's so much happening in our country right now. And as we look, we just feel evil is everywhere. We have a hard time finding the good in anything because we've always recognized that evil is there. But right now, we have no idea if our country is going to survive until 2021. We have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. You know, there's just this joke on the Internet right now about what's this new month going to bring? What what do you have for us, October? And early on in October, we get our president sick with COVID-19. And it's like, all right, well, that's there's October for you. Welcome to 2020. You know, it's just everything seems to be happening all at once. And so we want to latch on to something. And that's another thing that makes this so appealing is that we're afraid. People are afraid. People want answers. They want to be able to rationalize and understand and put everything in a particular box so that even if they can't stop it or control it, they get it. 
because we don't like the unknown. We, we want to be able to understand the world around us and the events happening. We want to know why, why is this happening? And for a lot of people, that often means accepting any answers that meet whatever need we have. So we may be looking for answers that just give us some amount of comfort and make us feel better. We may settle for answers that, like I said, let us just put the world in a box and give us an answer for everything. Or we'll accept whatever gives us an enemy to blame. You know, why is COVID spreading around the world? Why is it killing people? Well, because it was manufactured. Someone is out to get us. You know, why are people unemployed? Why is there rioting? Oh, well, there's a group behind it. There's, there's someone pulling the strings. You know, we can't attribute it to just living in a broken world or people just being evil, broken sinners. You know, we need to have someone. We need to have a group or a person to blame everything on because that gives us comfort. It gives us someone to take our anger out at. We have a target and we want that. That feels good. But beyond just that wide appeal that just makes anyone susceptible to it, Christians, I think, have an even bigger appeal when it comes to these QAnon conspiracies. One is that the language and the attitudes used are very biblical and they're very apocalyptic. And by that, I mean that when you listen to them talk, when you see what they're saying and when you look at what they're focusing on, it's all very end times. It's very book of Revelation. You know, the rapture is coming, Christ is coming, the Antichrist is on his way and things like that. You know, it, it all carries this feeling of something that Christians are already obsessed with in an unhealthy way. And it gives them biblical context to buy into. You know, on top of that, there's even a church-like feeling to some of the meetings. You know, there's prayer and, and you know, they use the Bible and things like that. And that's the hard thing is that QAnon will actually use the Bible and they will interpret current events through biblical prophecy. So they will go to Revelation or Daniel or things like that, and they will say, here's this passage in the Bible, and here's how it fits with what we've just seen. Now, of course, to do that, if you've followed this podcast or been on my blog long enough, you know that there's a real danger when we just grab a chunk of verses and say, here's what it means without looking at the bigger context. But that's what they do. And then another thing that makes Christians susceptible to it, I think, is that it paints President Trump as a sort of Messiah, a flawed one, certainly, a man who is not perfect, but he is God's man. He is what stands between us and the darkness. You know, it paints not just President Trump, but even America, because he is the ruler of America. It paints America as really the world's last hope for goodness. Everything else in the world is dark. And if America falls, and especially if President Trump falls, then everything falls apart. And that's a very popular belief in certain Christian circles today. And so here's where I think it really gets to Christians, is that what it does is it scratches an important itch that would otherwise prevent Christians from believing in a conspiracy theory. Because in the beginning I talked that a lot of what stops us from believing conspiracy theories are red flags. And so if you remove those red flags, it's much easier to believe in it. And so what this QAnon thing does is it uses our source of truth to prove something that maybe we already want to believe. So like I said, Christians, depending on your circles, you know, a lot of Christians are looking at today as though we are in the end times, how things couldn't possibly get worse, how Christ has to be returning soon. And so we're looking for any sign we can. Again, a lot of Christians are very sold out for the Republican Party or the conservative party. 
And so they will take anything that kind of proves that they are right, that they are on the side of good and latch onto it. And so when someone takes this kind of American belief system that we've merged with Christianity and then introduces the Bible into it, it's very easy to fall for the QAnon conspiracies. It's very easy to buy into it and go much farther into the beliefs than we mean to simply because, you know, their use of the Bible is our gateway. And so if this is right, what else is right? And so we let down our guard and ignore what should be red flags because it takes the Bible and it gives us answers about the world or it gives us, like I said, proof that our side is right. But we need to be very careful because God's word really warns us about this, about those who have the Bible and say, here, this is true because the Bible says so. And we can read it in Matthew seven fifteen, which says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And so when we read that, we often think of it today in terms of atheists or pagan beliefs and false religions and things like that. But as Christians, our greatest danger for us not growing or us walking away or us really believing false beliefs, it's not those people outside the Christian faith, but it's those who walk and talk like us. It's those who appear to be Christian, who hold the Bible in one hand and say things that don't seem right, but they've got the Bible, so it must be right. And so ultimately, what I've seen QAnon do is just reveal a very tragic truth about Christians. And that is that in a very good way, we want to believe what the Bible says. We want to obey it and hold to it and let it guide our lives. We want our worldview to be shaped by the Bible. And that's great. That's how we should live our lives. The Bible needs to be our highest source of truth. The problem comes, though, when we want the Bible, we want what it says, we want to follow it, but we don't know it well enough to know when someone is using it deceptively. And when we don't know how to interpret the Bible well, when we don't know how to read it and understand and dig into the truth and connect a single verse to all of what God has revealed in his word, then it becomes very easy for us to simply follow whatever sounds good or whatever appeals to us, whatever lets us believe what we may already want to believe. And we see a huge warning about this in 2 Timothy. And there, you know, Paul is warning Timothy. He starts by charging him to preach the word. He says, preach the word, get into the Bible, teach people from the Bible, help people to understand God's word, help them to think through the world biblically. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, Paul then gives the warning about why it is so critical to make the Bible central to our lives. And he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And so really that's kind of the central belief or the central idea of this entire podcast episode is that God's word is critical because without it, we're going to not say, what does God's word teach? But instead, how can I infuse God's word into something I already want? How can I find people who will use God's word to let me believe what I want to believe that will bring me comfort because of what they say, because of man's wisdom that happens to have the Bible adjacent to it, as opposed to the wisdom given purely from God's revelation within his word. 
and it says that, you know, people will turn away their ears from truth and instead listen to myths. And if a conspiracy theory is not a myth, I don't know what else to call it. So if someone is saved, if someone is a believer, they have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, they have the Holy Spirit living inside them, they are being grown to be more and more like Christ, how could they possibly fall for this? How could they hear the way that QAnon talks about the Bible and misinterprets it and abuses it and does a very poor job of handling it? How could people believe that? I think there's really one reason, and it really just boils down to spiritual immaturity. Now, as Christians, our maturity is tested a lot, really on a daily basis, even on a moment-by-moment basis, because what our spiritual maturity is at its core is when we say, I am going to understand the truth of God's word and use that to respond to what I'm hearing or what I'm experiencing. And so, you know, I've talked in an episode about why theology is important and how theology isn't this high-minded thing, but it's really, at its core, what we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves and then how we live our lives in light of that. That's what I'm talking about right now. So our spiritual maturity, our spiritual health is tested when something comes along and they've got a Bible in one hand and a new belief or a new Bible interpretation in the other hand. And then we are then challenged to use wisdom and discernment to weigh what's being said. And again, that wisdom and that discernment comes from a thorough understanding of God's word about the character and nature of God, about his will and his desires, and what we as followers of Christ should think and do and believe. But when these new beliefs come up, if you are not spiritually mature, if you struggle, if you don't know how to handle God's word well— then a single Bible verse used out of context is going to be enough to draw you away, to get you to believe something false. There are others who may try to push that reality aside and say, well, I just want to trust the Spirit. I want to hear what's being said, and I'm just going to listen to the Holy Spirit and trust what He reveals. But the problem comes that if we don't know what God's Word reveals already, then we're going to have no idea how to discern, how to judge between whether what we are hearing and feeling inside us is the Holy Spirit's confirmation or just our own desires telling us something is okay. Because as human beings, we are very good with trying to justify any belief or action we want to take as long as we feel good about it. And in the end, if we don't know how to hold our beliefs or our feelings up against God's word, we're going to have no confidence that what we believe is truly real. We're not going to know why we believe what we believe. And ultimately, that's what discernment, that's what wisdom, that's what spiritual maturity does, is it protects us. It keeps us from believing a lie that sounds good, but based on our dedication to God's word, based on our study, based on us working through things in in the Bible— we're going to know that just because it sounds good, it doesn't line up. It doesn't add up. It doesn't go in line with what God's Word has revealed and how we understand that by reading it properly. But where does this come from? You know, is it a natural thing? Are some people just better at reading and understanding the Bible and using wisdom and discernment? I don't think so. I think if we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14, we actually get a very good picture of how we grow and develop this wisdom and this spiritual maturity. And so I'm going to be kind of pausing 
as I go through this passage. But it starts with, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. So here we see that Paul starting off by listing off some very important people in the life of a believer. He is basically giving people who teach, who point us to God's word, who help us grow closer to Jesus Christ by revealing truth, and not just truth in terms of opinions, but truth as has been revealed by God himself. And what is the point of these people? Why, why does God give them? It goes on to say, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And that's a lot there. As always, I would recommend that you pause and read this for yourself so you can really take in kind of the grammar and the language that's being said here. But ultimately what he's saying is that the reason that God gives pastors in your life, the reason he gives teachers, the reason he gave us apostles and prophets back in the day, the reason why there are evangelists going out and telling others about Christ is for one purpose, and that is to equip us to serve Jesus Christ, to equip us to think and behave in a way that brings us towards maturity, to the what's called, it says, the full measure of the stature. In other words, they exist to help us grow to be more like Jesus Christ. That is why all teachers exist. And then he goes on and he contrasts that. He says, here's why teachers exist. Here's what they are supposed to do in your life. But here's what happens if that doesn't happen, if you don't have good teachers, or if you don't dedicate yourself to learning. Because he says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And so here we ultimately just have two groups. We have the first group who is being equipped by the human tools that God has given us. Yes, the Holy Spirit is key in our growth because without him, we're not going to grow. No amount of good teaching is going to change a hard heart. But the Holy Spirit uses these teachers, limited and broken and sinful as they may be, he uses these teachers for our growth, for our maturity. And these human teachers, they, they teach us, they help us go through what they've gone through, they help us see flaws in reasoning, they help us understand how to rightly read and interpret God's word, and in turn, we gain wisdom from them and wisdom from God's word as we understand it better. And then they give us discernment versus false teaching. You know, that last part was talking about because of this maturity, because you have teachers and you are dedicating yourself to growing under them, you're not going to be falling for false teaching. You're not going to think and act like children that just fall for whatever sounds good. But then he contrasts that, right? Because then if we have one group who is equipped, we have another group who is not equipped. They are not seeking to grow in their spiritual maturity. They are immature. They are childish. That's what it says. You know, they don't have wisdom. They have foolishness. And they just get tossed around by whatever sounds good. You know, what they believe today is different from what they believed five years ago. You know, they, they treat beliefs like fads. You know, whatever sounds good at the moment is what we're going to go with. And spiritual maturity then really acts as our barrier. It stops us from growing. It stops us from understanding the deeper and harder and more profound truths of God because we're stuck really in this kiddie pool. You know, and we see why this is so heartbreaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, 
And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. You were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able. So here we have some people who were, by all accounts, doing Christian things. They were believers. You know, he says that they are infants in Christ. They weren't enemies of God. They they are in Christ. They're just infants. And the problem was that they couldn't handle these bigger truths. You know, Paul wanted to talk to them about so much more about the riches of Christ, but he couldn't because they were still on baby food. They couldn't handle the true, solid truths of God. And why? Because they were immature. But how do we know that they were immature? What marks immaturity? Ultimately, it comes down to having a poor biblical worldview. Because it's that worldview that is founded on the truth of the Bible that allows us to engage the world biblically in a way that glorifies God. It allows us to have a foundation of who Christ is, what the Bible is, our role in the world, and our goal as Christians. You know, we have that baseline, simple stuff handled, and then we can handle what's called the meat, the solid food, the hard things. But how? How do we get to that point of spiritual maturity? How do we get to the point where we can handle meat, where we aren't those infants and those babies in Christ who maybe we've been saved for five or 10 or 30 years, but we still can't get past the starting gate when it comes to understanding the Christian worldview because we are so wrapped up in the world itself. We have our minds conformed to the world's way of thinking, and we allow ourselves to be swept aside and 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 whipped around by, really, enemies of God, minds that are set against him. How do we get to the point where we don't do that? What is our goal? What is the step-by-step process? I think we see that in 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Now, we'll pause there. We want to be approved to God, right? That's the sign of us being spiritually mature. We've come to the point where God has use for us. He doesn't have to discipline us or basically tell us to grow up. So how do we present ourselves as approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed? And he answers it for us. He says, accurately handling the word of truth. So the idea of being spiritually mature, of being someone who does not need to be ashamed, someone who is approved by God, it is synonymous. It is a one-to-one. It is fused completely with being able to handle the word of truth, with being able to understand the Bible. And that's not just a thing of, oh, I know some Bible verses. I read my Bible every day. I go to church. It's so much more than that because accurately handling the word of truth, yes, requires us to know the Bible, right? It's good to know the books of it. It's good to know where the Bible came from. It's good to read it every day. But if that's all we do, that's going to explain why we're stuck being spiritually immature. That's why we don't grow because it's not just reading it. It's about studying. It's about digging in, taking an entire book of the Bible, not just a verse here and there, not just the easy stuff, really digging into the entire gospel of John and understanding why Christ did what he did and said the things he said. What's with the miracles? What's with some of the parables that he made? You know, digging into Ecclesiastes and what is he talking about here? Is this just good, solid wisdom for anybody? You know, dig into books of prophecy even, or the letters of Paul, or any book in the Bible, you know, it's about digging in and understanding it and fighting through it and getting frustrated and angry and wanting to cry and wanting to give up because we want to grow, but we're just not there. But then we just keep pushing through anyway, because we know that 
through the Holy Spirit, we're going to get there. And it's not just reading the Bible, and I'll talk about that later. But from there, it's not just about having head knowledge, right? We also need to apply the Bible regularly to our lives. And that's, again, that episode on theology and a biblical worldview. It all comes down to, okay, you know what God's Word says. You know what He expects. Now do something about it. Counsel yourself in every moment of your life. Take every bit of information in. Think about every behavior you do, every word you say, and filter it through God's Word. And then from there, we compare what we see in God's Word with everything around us. And we can then even compare what we read in God's Word with what other people say is in God's Word. Because the world is filled with false teachers. It's filled with people who have their belief about the Bible. And when we know God's Word, when we are living in light of the truth of Jesus Christ, we're going to be able to ultimately take what God's Word says and hold it up to everything else around us and say, does God's Word agree? And that ultimately is where wisdom and discernment and maturity are going to come from. Because it's not about our gut feelings, you know, how we feel about something, you know, do we feel that it's right? It's not about our emotion and how something makes us feel emotionally, you know, does it make us happy and so we accept it? Does it make us sad or frustrated and so we reject it? And ultimately, it's not even from just feeling the Holy Spirit. Because like I said, if we are just saying, oh, I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit, if we don't understand who he is, his role in our lives, and what God's word says, because the Holy Spirit is going to always agree with God's word because he is God, then if we're just saying, oh, I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be able to tell the difference between what the Holy Spirit is genuinely saying to us and what we are telling ourselves that he is saying. And so by knowing God's word, we can just test truth. We can live in that truth and we can reject anything that is false. But again, if we don't truly and fully know God's word, we're going to struggle. We're going to fall for things that sound good. They sound right. They have people using the Bible. They're opening the Bible. They're proving what they're saying by these words that I'm reading. And if we don't know how to accurately read God's word, that's going to be enough for us to fall into error and false teaching and ultimately fall into sin. But the good news is that God expects us to grow. And if God expects us to grow, he's going to let us do it. He's going to give us the tools and the means to grow. And a lot of it is just us not being lazy, us seeing what is valuable in our lives and what's not, and getting rid of those things that are holding us down and weighing us down and acting as chains that keep us from spiritually growing simply because we want to take part in this part of the world. We want our lives to look this certain way. But like I said, God expects us to grow. And he says that very plainly in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So, you know, understand that if you're hitting this point in the episode, if you've stuck with me this long, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He doesn't expect us to be saved and suddenly get it and have all wisdom and all maturity. You know, and this process is different for everyone. There are some people who they get saved and I mean, they just take off like an Olympic runner and they just are so deep into God's word and have so much wisdom and understanding after just a few short years. There's other people who it can take them years to get that far. And for 
a lot of us, you know, if you've been trying to grow and you've been really investing in growing in God's word, you're going to realize that even year to year, our growth is different. There may be one year where everything just clicks and we are growing so much. And there's other years where we just slow down and we feel like we're just slogging through our Christian life. But, you know, ultimately what I think God is calling us to here in this Hebrews passage is that, you know, the us today in the year 2020 we are expected to be more wise and more mature and more in love with Jesus Christ than we were in 2019. There's no prescription on how far that needs to be. No, there's no chart that we need to be following saying that we need to be growing this much. But God's word is just filled with this understanding that part of the Christian life is simply forward momentum. It's growth. It's casting aside the things of the world and picking up and being drawn to the things of Christ. And a big part of that, again, is God's word, is studying it, is knowing it so that we can know, not just know the will of God, but know God, know who Jesus Christ is, because everything we need is in his word. And so as we keep growing, as we keep investing in God's word, again, wisdom, discernment, maturity, they're going to increase. And that is beautiful and it's wonderful, not because it brings us peace, which it does. It brings us such peace we feel like we are in the right lane. You know, we feel like we're not wandering forward and backwards and side to side on this Christian walk, but we are on the path that God has us on. That's a great feeling. It's, it's a wonderful part of our Christian growth. But another benefit to it is that the more we know of truth, the less we're going to tolerate lies. And so in Colossians 2.8, we see a great picture of this. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So here we have another warning. And again, it's not just about atheism or pagan beliefs. It's about bad beliefs about Jesus Christ, about God's word. It's taking human ideas and setting them against Christ and saying the wise, the mature believer is going to see the difference. They're going to be able to know the mind of Jesus Christ. They're going to be able to take a secular worldview that happens to use the Bible and compare it to a biblical worldview and see, wow, these two are wildly different. And from there, the greatest thing is going to happen because we are going to be able to glorify God by how we accept or reject any claim of truth. Because ultimately, if we are seeking God's word first— and turning to him and saying, God, I want to see you in this. I don't want to believe what I want to believe. I want to follow your mind. I want to be more like Jesus Christ in my thoughts and my actions and my belief. Please guide me. Please help me. And so when we are confronted with a truth claim and we have dug into God's word and we know how to read it and interpret it properly, God's going to get so much glory not because we are suddenly so smart or we know the Bible, but simply because we will be evidence of what happens when we set our minds on Jesus Christ and not on the things of the world. When we are empty of our desires and said filled with the Holy Spirit and wanting the things that he wants and being obedient to him and his leading instead of fighting him. That is spiritual maturity right there. You know, and we see this idea of glorifying God by checking truth against the Bible in Acts 17.11. And this is talking about a church in Berea. And it says, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, 
examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And I've said it before, I love this verse because it is so simple and it just lays out exactly what the Christian life should look like. Someone brings a truth claim to us. We say, stop, that sounds good. Let me see what God's word says. Or that doesn't sound right. That can't possibly be right. But I'm not going to leave it up to myself and my intelligence. I'm going to pause and we're going to go to God's word. Any truth claim that comes our way, not just things that sound wrong, but things that sound right, things that sound good, things that we want to believe, God is glorified when we seek him first, when we go to his word first, before we let our emotions latch onto an idea, before we reason and rationalize it and try to use logic to say if something is true or not. When our minds are set on God and his word, then we will filter truth through a biblical worldview. I assume at this point it's clear. God's word has to be our filter for all truth claims. And I want to say that there's nothing wrong, again, with being spiritually immature because we all start there and we all hopefully are continuing to grow. You know, no one person is going to reach the pinnacle of Christian living and just be completely sinless and have all knowledge and understanding. And really recognizing that spiritual immaturity, recognizing that maybe I can't read and understand God's word like I think or understand it well enough that I can see the difference, not just between the world and God, but claims about God that aren't actually true to his word. When we can understand that, you know, that's huge. That is a big step. I mean, that that is spiritual maturity on its own because that is recognizing that we are not smart. We are not wise. We are not enough. But God is, and his word has our truth. We may not know the truth, but we know that we don't know. And so that's key because our problems are never going to change until we label them as problems. If we don't see our lack of Bible knowledge and Bible understanding as an issue, then there's no need to fix it. And I know we're already getting along, but I just, you know, I want, I want to share an example of this. So I am getting on about the one year anniversary of knowing a guy named Jim. I met Jim very randomly and very surprisingly at church one day. I was sitting there, service had just ended, and a, a woman from church came up to me and said, Ray, this is Jim. He wants to meet you. Okay, hi. I, I fully wasn't prepared to just be introduced to somebody. And Jim recognized that he was weak in his understanding of the Bible. He realized that he wasn't growing well, but he wanted to. He had a hunger and a thirst to grow. And he just came flat out and just said, here's where I'm at. I want you to teach me. I want you to help me grow and understand how to read the Bible. Because he'd, you know, he'd read my blog and things like that. And so he believed that I was someone that could help him grow. And that's always been a humbling lesson for me because, you know, like I said, he saw an issue, a weakness that he had, and he wasn't content with it. He said, no, I cannot read the Bible. I cannot understand God's word and apply it to my life like I want to. I'm going to go find help. Now, the poor guy got stuck with me, but it's been really encouraging just to see him grow and be a part, even a small part, of his continued walk with Christ. And so, you know, maybe you are sitting there and you maybe feel like my friend Jim, or maybe you know someone who is, or, you know, maybe you're saying, you know, how do I sharpen my worldview? You know, I already am past kind of the basic stuff, but I do see a lack. Where do I get a deeper biblical worldview? And so just some practical advice or steps that I can offer are, one, regular study of God's word is key. 
We're not going to get it by just listening to sermons or just reading Bible books, you know, books that men have written about the Bible. You're not going to get it from my podcast or my blog or any human teacher. God's word is where your foundation has to be, studying it regularly, you know, treating it like an Olympic gymnast who wants to win that gold. You know, if, if you want to win something, if you want to be the best, if, if I can use that word about reading God's word, that's probably not the best example. But, you know, a, a gymnast, an athlete, they devote their lives, their time to being the best at what they want to achieve. If there is something that comes along that they may enjoy, that may be fun, that may be important, they will say no, because this is going to take me off track from where I want to be. And so if we as believers want to be mature, then we need to focus on those things that will get us there and set aside maybe forever those things that won't. Because, you know, there's plenty of good things in the world, but there's not a lot of things that are the best for us. And so we can't have it all. And so if our first goal is primarily to have Jesus Christ and a fuller, more mature understanding and relationship with him, then that needs to be our focus. We need to dig into God's word. We need to think about the world in such a way that gets us closer there. But once we start with God's word as our foundation, then I would recommend standing on the shoulders of other people. And by that, I mean what we see in Colossians 1.28, which is kind of the verse, I think, for Onward in the Faith. It says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So when I say to stand on the shoulders of others, I mean you don't have to just sit and hack and chop away at God's word alone. There are so many people that have come before us throughout history and even today, men and women who are wise and intelligent and so spiritually mature that we can benefit from the years that they have devoted to studying Christ and then have been willing to pour that out for other people. And so this Colossians 1.28, you know, just like the passage in Timothy about why God gave teachers, you know, this is the goal of all teachers is to present other believers, you know, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to present them as mature before God, as equipped, as ready to think and act and serve their king. And myself included, you know, people ask, you know, you know, Ray, what are you with Onward in the Faith? You know, are you a pastor? Are you an evangelist? Are you a teacher? And I don't really have the best answer. This whole digital thing is kind of a weird medium, but I consider myself a teacher. And so this is my goal as well. You know, it's why I write. It's why I record this stuff. I want to be a part, again, even just a small part, because, you know, I, I don't have tons to offer, but whatever I can offer, I want to be a small part in your walk with Jesus Christ, just like every teacher in your life. If they are truly set on taking their role seriously, then their greatest desire is to help you grow, is to help you see Jesus Christ more fully in your life. And so as you're digging into God's word, as you're applying it to your life, don't go at it alone. Find teachers, find pastors that want to help you grow, find books that have been written or classes taught or Whatever. I mean, there is a ridiculous amount of stuff on the internet right now specifically devoted to helping you grow. So if I can speak for all teachers out there and even all pastors and, and all that, let us use our wisdom to help you grow, 
to encourage you, to build you up. Let us help you grow from the mistakes we've made and the struggles we've had. You know, because myself, everything I've written, everything I've talked about, these aren't just things that come to me. I've written hundreds of articles now. I'm on episode 25 of the podcast. Everything I've ever talked about are things that I personally have struggled with, things I've questioned, things I've wondered, things that I've said, I'm not content with my level of understanding. I want to dig into this. And so I talk about the things I talk about simply because if it interested me, surely there's at least one other person out there also wondering the same thing. So let me, let your pastor, let teachers in your church, let your parents, your friends, your spouse, let us help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. We don't want to do the work for you because you need to, like I said, start with the Bible as your foundation, but then let us help build you up in whatever way we can. And once you've got that, start with the Bible. You have teachers and wise Christians in your life that you can rely on. Now it's time to put it to use because it's very tempting to just sit there and want to have our mouths open and just shove information in until we feel like we're ready. But we're never going to be ready. I guarantee that you are not going to reach a point where you say, okay, I've learned enough. Now I'm going to go get them. Instead, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 reminds us how to truly develop our biblical worldview, how to take everything we've learned and use it. And it says, but solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So this process, it's not automatic. You don't just read and suddenly one day you've arrived. You're there. You get it. Wisdom and spiritual maturity and discernment are basically built on a foundation of failures, of us getting bad ideas and having horrible interpretations of God's word. You know, I can tell you, if you sat down and you talked to the guy who was my primary teacher, he can tell you all the horrible, sometimes almost unbiblical and maybe a little blasphemous beliefs I once held as I was growing and I was trying to grow closer to God and grow in spiritual maturity. You know, we all get there. We all do it. But it's part of the process. You have to be willing to fail. You have to embrace the failure because you know, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to get it. So I'm going to go and I'm going to fail and I'm going to see where I went wrong and I'm going to be able to go to God's word. I'm going to be able to have others help me understand where I went wrong so that then I can have a more refined understanding. And so part of this practice comes from, on one hand, yes, reading the Bible and trying to interpret and understand it. But it also just comes from our daily life. And like I said, applying our biblical worldview, which is going to continue to be refined, but applying our biblical worldview to other worldviews. You know, so if you're listening to the news, if you're listening to people talk, you know, try to find that person's worldview. You know, why are they saying what they're saying? What beliefs are they starting with? What do they think about God? What do they think about the human condition and human sin and human goodness? What do they think about how to interpret the Bible? You know, are they using Bible verses correctly? And then from there, dig into God's word and see if what they're saying is correct. Be like those Bereans in Acts who were commended, who were thought well of because they were not content to listen to what someone said. They wanted to look at God's word and say, are you in line with this? And again, through all this, you know, use others, you know, bounce ideas off people, ask them if you're thinking correctly about a topic. But, you know, just understand that this spiritual maturity is not an emotional thing. In our American culture, I think there's this idea that 
you're mature when you feel mature. You're ready when you feel ready. But, you know, if you've listened to this episode, you're going to see that, no, it's not about how we feel. It's about what we do. It's about what we've trained our minds to do. So maturity, your, your spiritual maturity, your walk with Christ is not about your emotion and how you feel. It's about what your mind is set on. It's about what your mind has been trained to do. And so we start with God's word. We let that be what we filter everything else through. And then from there, our mind gets molded. We engage with beliefs. We practice. We use discernment by thinking about what does God's word say. And then we think about, okay, now is this in agreement? You know, we evaluate the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You know, is this truly the Holy Spirit? Is he truly telling me something? Or is this my emotion, my feelings, my sin nature getting in the way? And then from there, once we have our mind being transformed by God, once it is walking in line and in accordance with God's desire and who he is, our emotions are then going to change based on how we think, because that's ultimately what emotions are. Emotions are our reactions to our thoughts. And so what we think is going to determine how we feel. And so for just some final thoughts as I wrap this up, I want to, I guess, give some comfort and say that we can all be deceived. It's very easy to be deceived. Even the wisest Christian teachers you can think of are going to be deceived by something at some point. And that deception comes because we hear something and we want it to be true, or simply because we lack the discernment to see why it's false. Either way, we get deceived simply because we don't know better, because we haven't been exposed regularly to what truth is. And so whatever we hear can become truth because we don't know what to compare it to. And so I just spent a lot of time never once mentioning QAnon. I started off talking about it, I explained what it was, and then I got off about why you need to read your Bible. Why? What am I doing? At the end of the day, QAnon is simply a false teaching. We've got the prosperity gospel, we've got works-based salvation, and we've got QAnon. And now this theory this conspiracy theory or this false belief or whatever you want to call it, it uses the Bible, just like the prosperity gospel and just like works-based salvation and things like that and other false religions that spring up out of the Bible. But what QAnon does is it uses it like a cult. It takes God's word and it uses it, maybe even uses it a lot, but they don't use it correctly. They use it to control, to change the narrative. They use it to warp how we are supposed to see things. Or maybe a better way of saying it is they take things and shove it into the Bible and say, here's how we know our beliefs are true because we can find some Bible verses that seem to confirm it. And so at the end of all this, at some point, we're all probably going to be confronted with QAnon in some form or another or in some level of intensity. It may not even label itself as QAnon, but we're going to see the effects of it in those around us. And... The best way that we can be safe from false teaching and to pull others out of false teaching is for us to know God's word. And that is why I hammered so hard on it is because it's not enough just to sit here and say, well, here is every reason biblically why this particular belief is wrong. Sometimes that's valuable, but sometimes we just need to see that if it's not QAnon, it's something else that's going to come up. You know, we can, we can sit here and try to treat you know, these bad fruits that keep popping up in the world, or we can get to the root of why we want to fall for things like this. And so, you know, if you are someone who is listening to this and you've 
bought in to a bite or an entire meal of QAnon, you know, the best thing I can say is turn away from it. Seek truth in God's word. Grow in spiritual maturity because that's ultimately what makes us want to believe something like QAnon is just a lack of maturity. Because without spiritual maturity, we don't have the discernment to know right from wrong, good from evil, truth and lies. And so if you are someone who might be drawn to this, really listen to everything in the last half of this episode. You know, grow, get into God's word first, surround yourself with good Bible teachers, not just people who will tell you what you want to hear, but people who have proven that they know how to handle God's word, that they know how to think biblically and grow under them. Now, if you're sitting here and I suspect this is going to apply to a lot more people, but if you know someone that is getting into these QAnon things, and I've actually been surprised at how popular this is becoming because I thought it was just going to be a fringe thing, but I've had several people contact me and either ask me my thoughts on QAnon or they've thanked me for tackling this topic because apparently it's just it's a thing that's that's growing everywhere. And so if you know someone or if someday you meet someone who is into this and you are in the position to actually talk to them, pray for their wisdom, but also pray for your own. Because it's important to realize that when we're talking to people, it's not about convincing them. It's not about shaking them. It's about showing them what truth is. Because the only reason to believe in these QAnon conspiracies is because you believe they're true. And so the only way to stop believing that they're true is to see what really is true. And from there, we're going to see, well, here's why this whole conspiracy theory falls apart is because I'm seeing the truth in God's word and this isn't it. So start with that person's worldview. Talk to them. Get to know why they believe what they believe. But make sure that you know how to read your Bible well. And I've got an episode that I'll link down in the comments that really talks about how to do that. And then from talking to them, if they will allow you, Teach them how to read the Bible. Share with them what you're learning and how you're growing and walk alongside them in their own walk with Jesus Christ because, you know, we all go astray. We all mess up. We all get bad beliefs. It's God's people who often bring us back from it. It's their love and their patience and their wisdom and maturity that pulls us out of bad beliefs and gets us back on the path towards our own spiritual maturity. And so today we need... God's people, to be good students of his word. And I don't want to say that it's just a broad statement of, yeah, God's people. We, in the universal church, the saved body of believers, we need you to be a good student of our God's word. We need you to help us grow, to help baby Christians grow, to help pull people along and let them stand on your shoulders so that they can grow and they can learn from your own mistakes. You know, we know that God is in control. We know that God is sovereign. We know that God doesn't need us, but God still, as we've seen, he calls us for maturity. He calls us to be immersed in his word and studying it and knowing how to handle it well so that we won't be ashamed. And so I and your church and your friends and your family, we all need you, whoever's listening to this, we need you to get into your Bible, to know how to read it well, because when QAnon conspiracies end, when it falls out of fad, when it just fizzles out, there's going to be something else that comes along. This world is always going to be filled with false beliefs trying to pull our attention away from Jesus Christ. Sometimes they won't use the Bible, but a lot of times they will. And we can't sit there and just be victims 
of these false beliefs. We can't be tossed to and fro by whatever comes along. The world needs Christians that are more than that, that are more than just Sunday morning Christians. We need, we need Christians who are sold out, who want Jesus Christ more than anything. And they will throw away everything that holds them back so that they can run towards the thing they want the most. And through that, they're going to gain maturity. They're going to gain wisdom. And they're going to be able to use that to serve their brothers and sisters who are also on this path towards spiritual maturity and towards following Jesus Christ more and more every day. So if you're listening to this, wherever you are, whether you're into QAnon, whether you know someone who's in it, just get in God's word. Learn and grow. Find people. Find a church. Find teachers who will help you grow and learn and study and just understand the beautiful truths that God gives us in his word. Because, again, if you go back and you read 2 Timothy 2.15, at the end of the day, you and I and the people around us cannot know truth without first knowing how to correctly handle God's word. So, in closing, wrapping up this episode, that's it. This is just some announcement kind of stuff. Uh, my next episode is going to be about the golden rule, uh, picking up where we left off last time. This episode was kind of a sudden idea that I had when I started seeing conspiracies and stuff start popping up on social media in regards to President Trump falling ill and us not knowing what was going to happen there. Um, so I'm going to be recording the golden rule episode soon and hopefully actually releasing it in a few days. So I'm going to be doing hopefully uh, two episodes this week instead of one. And I'd like to release it Friday. We will see. Next week, ideally, I would like to get back to conspiracy theories, and instead of talking about just a specific one, really just take this biblical worldview that I've been discussing and filter conspiracy theories through it and say, what is the temptation and the reason why anyone would believe a conspiracy theory in the first place? What is it about us and our sin nature that drives us towards that? Now, if you've reached the end of this episode and... If you've been with me for a while and you enjoy what I do, I would just remind you that I do have a Patreon where you can support me every month for as little as $1. Every little bit helps. It helps me to cover the costs of the blog and the podcast, as well as uh, just puts a little money aside for myself. Uh, you can also make a one-time donation through a link on my website. Links to the different episodes that I've mentioned and all the scripture passages that I've read from are going to be down in the show notes. So with all that being said, I hope that this episode helps you keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.